0: Good morning, everyone. We're going to get started now. If you want to find a seat. Good morning. Thank you so much for being here today. We're so glad you made it. Um, If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Megan. Um, My husband, Stephen, and I have been part of the bridge for the last uh, three and a bit years. We're really grateful to be part of this community. Um, So we're gonna start off importantly um, by acknowledging that we are gathered on the lands of the, (laughs) how do you pronounce it again? Semiamu. Semiamu, Stolo, and Kwantlen peoples.
1: trying to do this without crying. Some of us have brought really big burdens this morning. And um, I see you moving towards each other to lift those burdens off and to care for each other. And it is very moving to see that happen. So thank you for participating with each other in some of the things that are hard in this life, and not shying away from difficult or hard or sad things. Thanks, guys. You are really quite an amazing bunch, and I'm so glad to be a part of you. Um, This morning, I need all the cues. (laughs) Um, This morning, we have someone who we have not had speak here before, and um, her name is Pam Van Dopp. So a couple years ago, come on up here, Pam. A couple of years ago, in the deep throes of COVID, I got this email from someone who said, I'm just wondering if I could ask a favour of you. I'm writing my story and I um, would really appreciate it if you would read it and then if you feel led to um, give an endorsement for it. So I said, well, could I meet you? (laughs) And that's when Pam came to my deck, like many of you have, Um, and we spent some time together getting to know each other, and, um, and then I read her book. And it was profound. And, um, and I would even recommend it with no caveats like last week <laughs> about the movie. Sorry about that. Um, and um, it's a, a beautiful, beautiful story. But um, the things that I've learned about Pam since. So she's a teacher uh, at a Christian school. Don't hold that against her. Um, <laughs> But she's the kind of teacher that all of us wish we had. I'm telling you that straight up. And and also, she's the kind of Christian teacher that we all needed. So, she's about to. <laughs> she's about to school us. Uh, not really, um, but I want to pray with her and for her before we start. Jesus, thank you so much for bringing Pam into my life and for the ways that she contributes to what I understand and what I can see and how she moves in and amongst the students in her school. I just ask that you would bless her to have more and more influence on these young minds and hearts and that she would just keep on bringing Jesus to them. And now I bless her as she comes to speak to us, and Lord, give us, like, ears that have no wax in them whatsoever, so we hear every little thing you have for us this morning. Amen.
0: All right, no expectations there at all. (laughs) So another thing about me is that I'm an introvert, which means that I've been attending here for a bit, but I always sit over there. Oh, I pressed a button. Okay, it's all good. And I don't usually talk to too many people, because small talk is really uncomfortable for me. But give me a microphone, (laughs) i got a lot to say. All right, so I'm just going to get into it, no more introductions, because I feel like that was like, wool all up here. Uh, The lectionary pieces for today were interesting, because it involves a book called Tobit. And Tobit has been part of... Christian Bible it had been for like 1500 years along with a whole bunch of other books that we actually don't find in our Bibles that we regularly read today uh, so this naturally made me say I am going to preach from that one because I'm that kind of a rebel kind of person uh, so we are reading from Tobit it is a fabulous um, book and if you ever ch- have a chance to just look up some of the apocryphal writings They're actually really profound, and they can feed into us quite a bit. So I am going to read two passages. I'm going to read from Tobit, and then I'm also going to read from Psalm 22, and then we're going to get into things. So Tobit 13, am I in the right spot? Everybody can see? Do I have to move? We're good? All right. Tobit 13, verse 11 says, A bright light will shine forth to all the ends of the earth. Many people from far away will come to you. Inhabitants of the furthest edges of the earth to your holy name, bearing the gifts in the hands for the ruler of heaven. Generation after generation will give joyful praise in you. The name of the elect city will endure forever. Cursed are all who speak a harsh word against you. Cursed are all who overthrow you or pull down your walls or all who topple your towers and set your homes on fire. But blessed forever will be all who revere you. So go then, and rejoice over the daughters and the sons of the righteous, for they will be gathered together and will praise the founder of eternity. Blessed are those who love you, and blessed are those who rejoice in your well-being. Blessed are all people who grieve with you because of all of your afflictions, for in you they will rejoice and witness all your glory forever. My soul blesses the sovereign God, the great ruler, for Jerusalem will be built as God's home for all eternity. How blessed I will be if a remnant of my descendants should survive to see your glory and acknowledge the ruler of heaven The gates of Jerusalem will be built with sapphire and emerald and all your walls with precious stones The towers of Jerusalem will be built with gold their ramparts with pure gold the streets of Jerusalem will be paved with ruby and with stones of over. the gates of Jerusalem will sing I'm sorry, did it just say that? The gates will sing hymns of joy, and all her houses will cry, Hallelujah, blessed be the God of Israel. And the blessed will bless the holy name forever and ever. And then we get to Psalm 22. And now Psalm 22 is actually quite a well-known psalm. It's, Jesus quotes it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? is the very first verse of this psalm. But we're fast-forwarding to like this grand vision of the New Jerusalem. You who revere the font of life, praise her. All the offspring of Leah and Rachel, Bilhah, Zilpah, glorify her. Stand in awe of her, all you of Rebekah's line. For she did not despise or abhor the afflictions of the afflicted. She did not hide her face from me, and when I cried to her, she heard. On your account is my praise in the great congregation. My vows will pay before those who revere her. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek her shall praise the mother of all. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the wellspring of life. And all the families of the nation shall worship before her. For sovereignty belongs to she who is holy. I just kind of like that we saying holy, holy, holy this morning. And she rules over the nations. They consume and they bow down all the fat ones of the earth before her. They bend their knees, all who go down to the dust and cannot save their soul. Later descendants will, su- will serve her. Future generations will be told about our God. They will go and proclaim her deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that she has done it. So here are two passages that are very similar in theme. They paint this glorious picture of when the ends of the earth will come before she who is holy, the founder of eternity. And usually we look to the book of Revelation to give us this kind of picture of all the tribes and the nations all bowing before the King, before the the, the Lamb of God, worshiping this triune God. some of us kind of get confused when we read revelation or we get kind of scared of what's going on in there and some of us write it off as this just this vision or like literally in his dreams get it i'm a middle school teacher i do these kind of, anyhow these passages today they paint this much larger and much more inclusive picture of god's heart than any other passage the footnote in my bible says that no psalm or prophecy contains a grander vision of the scope of the throng of worshipers who will join the praise of God, God-saving acts." So if we pick apart some of the language, I think we can get a glimpse of this bigger than we ever realized vision of God's heart. So I want to start with Tobit verse uh, chapter 13, verse 1. It says, A bright light will shine forth to the ends of the earth. Many people from far away will come to you, inhabitants of the furthest edges of the earth to your holy name. And so, I want us to know that at the time of this writing, Tobit's world was a world of trade, of traveling, of conquest. They were versed in establishing kingdoms, claiming lands, vying for places of power. Tobit's story lies when the Northern Kingdom split from the Southern Kingdom. Assyria came in and conquered them. And Tobit and his family were actually exiled to Nineveh, of all places. This is a fascinating story of two diaspora families they both suffered grave misfortunes despite being righteous and holding on to the law. So I want us to think like the story of Job meets Deuteronomy with flashbacks of Joseph and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's a little seasonings of Jonah in there. And then there's also a Paul moment of this onset of sudden blindness. You guys want to read Tobit now, don't you? <laughs> All right, but where were we? Yeah. Tobit has been ripped from his ancestral homeland, and he's been sent to this foreign land of Nineveh, a place that he would eventually call home. And so when he writes about a bright light shining forth to the ends of the earth, he's intentionally writing about God's light shining in the foreign places, the places where people have been exiled, where refugees have called home the places that were unknown to the kingdoms. He's writing about the actual furthest edges of the earth, and he's saying that they too will encounter the light. And so then we read on, and it says, Go then, rejoice over the daughters and the sons of the righteous, for they will be gathered together and will praise the founder of eternity. And so the exiled, the scattered, the diaspora will one day come home. And there's this beautiful nostalgia in that thought home home to them was Jerusalem so this home that, they, that this gathering is talking about like in other passages in the Bible they refer to it as the new Jerusalem but I want us to read here that this new Jerusalem doesn't look like their former home, it won't look like their culture it doesn't have their decorations it doesn't look like their specific culture group This New Jerusalem will be built with, as Tobin mentions, sapphires and emeralds on its gates. Now, funny aside here, because I'm a nerd and I'm a science teacher, uh, the actual writings in Hebrew would be translated dark blue precious stones. And translators wrote this as sapphires and emeralds, which is very confusing because that region would never have known what a sapphire or an emerald actually was. But we're just gonna forgive that. And in fact, we read later on that the streets will be paved with ruby and the stones of Ophir. Now these they would have known about. Okay, rubies and stones of Ophir. Ophir was this legendary port, a famous place where all things rich and exotic would show up, like monkeys and peacocks and gold and rare wood and precious stones. The best of the world's crafts would be procured there. So what's the point of me highlighting this? It's because beautiful and exotic things come from strange and exotic places. And these are the items that were brought into and incorporated into the build and the foundation of this New Jerusalem. The items from nations that existed at the furthest edges of the earth were celebrated as foundational parts of the New Jerusalem. So quite intentionally, the writers are explaining that home, doesn't look how they left it. And you can't miss this purposeful, inclusive nature of this passage. This new Jerusalem doesn't look like Middle Eastern them. This new Jerusalem doesn't even look like the Western world, us. This new home doesn't demand conformity. It celebrates diversity. And so when we turn over to Psalm 22, also a part of the lectionary today, we see similar descriptions of this final assembly of nations praising God. All the descendants of Leah, of Rachel, of Bilhah, and Zilpah. This is where you just got to be like, I know these names, I don't know how to say them. (laughs) Rebecca's line comes together to praise the font of life. And it's not just them, it's not just their own lineage, their own people that have been scattered on the face of the earth. But verse 27 says, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the wellspring of life, and all the families of the nations will worship before her. Again, this is a call to include everyone from every lineage, every nation. God created every person, and he's calling every person that has breath to praise the Lord. Do you guys see what I did there? That's a song. God is not an exclusive God. Verse 29 says all the rich of the world our passage said the fat Okay, and that's referring to like the wealthiest. So we're going now into economic groupings. We're not talking cultural groupings anymore We're going economic and saying like the most prosperous in all the land Okay from those all the way to those in the most devastating circumstances that are on the brink of death and Everybody in between these are the people that are going to feast and worship these are the people that God is gathering So the first thing I want us to to draw our attention to is how large God's embrace is. It is in human nature for us to set up boundaries and limits. It's our brain's way of controlling the amount of information that we're trying to process. Our instinct is to sort, to organize, and determine what belongs and what doesn't belong. We love to sort. So when we read passages like this and attempt to keep our view of God's assembly as open as we possibly can, So when we try to imagine a gathering that includes the droning chants of one group, the funny-smelling food of another group, the spicy aroma rising from the garments of yet another group, and the sights of animal skins being worn by another group, the kaleidoscope of skin color, the symphony of different languages, the queer, the cisgender, the prostitute, the depressed, the criminal, the modern citizen, our minds love to entertain it. And at the same time, we feel overloaded because our minds don't know how to tame it. It's too much, and that's why it's beautiful and true. The too much speaks to the too much of our God, the God that's too loving, too caring, too merciful, too great, too wonderful, too personal. It can be, and it is. It's too much, and it's more than enough. It's beautiful, really, and it's just a glimpse that we get from Tobit and the Psalms. We just get a glimpse of the full picture. And there's no correction for us here at the bridge, because this is the mantra of the bridge. Everyone is welcome at the table. There's a second idea that I'm drawing from this passage, though. When I'm reading through parts of Tobit, I'm fascinated by this idea of people getting gathered. And it's not a new idea. I mean, if you read a whole bunch of different ancient scriptures, they all refer to God gathering scattered people. It's in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, Psalms. But I wonder, however, if there's a disconnect between what the ancient writer's intentions about the word gather is and how we use that word in connection to Christianity today. So in the famous words of Inigo Montoya, You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. (laughs) See, the word gather here in Hebrew, kawat, means to collect, to assemble, to bring together. So it's like Lego pieces, which I'm really sad they're not here, but it's all right. The Lego pieces that you need to gather to make your finished product. Or it's like the bolts and the screws that you need to assemble a car. You don't settle for, like, a different Lego piece. No, you have to find that one, and it's usually not there in the pile, okay? You have to find that one particular piece, and you don't find a screw and say, huh, this isn't the one that I want. I'm just gonna take this one, I'm gonna mold it, I'm gonna melt it down, I'm gonna change it, and it's gonna change into the thing that I want to be. We don't do that. You just look for the actual part. So maybe it's like a shepherd collecting all the sheep in a pen and finding out he's missing one. And he goes out to gather that one and brings them back to the fold. Shall we call him the 99? And yes, I'm talking about the word evangelism here. I have a love-hate relationship with this word. And so I actually try avoid using it. Why? Because Christianity has a history of using the word gather in a way that means to force or to manipulate, or to put high-pressure sales tactics on, or to require someone to conform. I think it all started out as well-meaning, but our understanding of gathering people through carefully crafted salvation prayers, or dragging others out of their pagan context and making them conform to our Western way of doing things, it's quite different than the actual simple act of collecting. And bringing together those who were scattered. Honestly, this is one reason why I find it hard to enter into church culture, because of the emphasis on getting others to look like me. Maybe the New Jerusalem doesn't look like me. So, this is where our roundtable questions came from. I don't know if you guys noticed the cool and cringe. Again, clear signs that I teach grade eight. Um, Because I think we have all been part, or experienced, or at least seen on TV, some of the cringe ways of evangelism. The awkward, let's count how many salvations we get, form of evangelism. And goodness, I am so glad the bridge does not work that way. Interestingly, the New Testament doesn't give a lot of advice on how to evangelize. So Christians have interpreted the Great Commission in our own way. And it's as if we've imagined God as this powerless being and we've graciously stepped up to the plate. Way to go us, way to overstep our boundary. (laughs) If we look through the history books of Christianity, we've too often pushed God aside and taken ownership of gathering people. We have stories after stories of people who have volunteered themselves to gather people, no matter the cost. No matter the cost of their integrity, no matter the cost of their situation, no matter the cost of culture. But something doesn't feel right about that. And perhaps it's because it's driven from our ego, from the heart of man and not from the heart of God. So I think it is valuable for us to note who is the one that's gathering in our passages. And it's the triune God. We were never tasked to be the collectors. We are not in charge of the retrieval mission. It's not our mission to make the ends of the earth a mirrored images of us. We've simply been asked to shine our light. We've been invited to share our stories. We've been sent to make disciples. Make disciples. Hmm. When we read of Jesus gathering people to follow him, which was another part of the lectionary reading, uh, to learn from him, to fellowship with him, he just said, follow me. There was no ultimatum. There was no hell, no fury, no angry God, no evil that would come their way if they didn't drop their nets and follow him. And as far as I can tell, I don't think there was any explanation of the consequence of saying, yeah, no thanks, Jesus. An invitation was all that was offered. And when they came along for the ride, knowing full well all the logistics of taking that step, that's how they became disciples. So what do we do with this? How do we shine our light without giving off so much light pollution that we're in a fence? So here's an idea, but I'm going to get sciencey for a second. Our Earth has a magnetic field. We know this. This magnetic field, however, is not on the surface. The Earth generates its magnetic field from deep inside, underneath the crust, underneath the mantle, in the core of our Earth. That's where we get our magnetic force. But then on the surface, when we have our magnets or our compasses and a lot of other phenomena that occur, it's because of the magnetic field that's deep within. So if I were to take a compass in my hand, I don't have to manipulate the needle. I don't have to like, push it towards north. It kind of just aligns itself. It's not affected from anything on the surface because it's affected by what's inside. And I want to use this analogy Because if God is Emmanuel, God with us. If our hearts are the temple in which the Spirit resides, if the triune God incarnate has taken up space inside of us and works in us and through us, if we have fellowship with God, this means a real relationship. If we are, as 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9 says, in fellowship with the Spirit, Jesus Christ, or, as Philippians 2, verse 1 says, if we have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any common sharing in the Spirit, maybe this fellowship, this sharing in the Spirit, works kind of like a magnetic field. Maybe we just need to be us. You know, the God, the us that God celebrates, the us that God loves, the us that God has taken up residence in, the us that God is working on from within challenging us teaching us moving within us maybe you being the God inhabited you and me being the God inhabited me allows us and our magnetic field of God to just radiate out attracting others not by force words but by being real because when we work on ourselves, not in competition with anyone else, but when we find ways to resemble the triune God, just as Ephesians 5 verse one to two says, to be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. Maybe us being our most genuine us, breathing in and out the breath of God that he created us with living as closely as we can to the heartbeat of the Spirit, maybe that creates a ripple effect in our force field and allows others to align themselves to God as well. I don't think we need carefully crafted defenses or the right sequence of words to really get God's hook into someone. We just need to share from our own honest experiences what it's like to be in communion with God. And I think it's actually helpful to others when we share when we're feeling a disconnect, an incongruence within ourselves. Doesn't this speak more about grace and mercy than anything else? Then we get in the Bible. It says, 1 Peter 3, verse 15. We should always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who gives you the reason to hope for the hope that you have. But I don't think this means we need to get on our soapbox and feel the need to convince and argue people into our idea. And I also don't think this means that we need to chart across the world and make people question their own culture. The rest of that verse says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Sometimes I tell my most argumentative and loud students, that saying nothing and listening might send a louder message than anything that they have to say. (laughs) Could listening be our way of sharing? Could seeing and celebrating the gold and the rubies and the stones of Ophir in each other be our way of affirming the reason for the hope that we have? I think we can proclaim many things about God without feeling the need to strategize of how to say it. Again, maybe our existence and experience of life says it all. 1 John 1 verse 3 says, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with our Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Doesn't that sound like a cool invitation? Doesn't that sound like the magnetic forces of God extending out from us without us needing to do very much? And it is, isn't it interesting that fellowship with the Spirit comes hand in hand with fellowship with others? Fellowship is forged and it's bonded, not by studying it or discussing it or analyzing it, but by simply joining together. Being in community and sharing with each other's joys and struggles, service and hospitality, these are the ways to be attractive to each other and to be attracted. Communion with God is communion with God in others. I'm reminded of Eden's story from a couple weeks ago. You know, the one where she was with Brad and their godfather, and they were being just them. They were just chatting, conversing and the magnetic force of God's fellowship brought in a stranger. And it was fluid, and it wasn't forceful, and it involved just opening up a seat at the table. The thing is, when Christ lives in us, others will know it by our love. Others will pick up on the north-south compass needle that comes from our actions. Nations will gravitate and gather, be assembled and collected to where the Spirit of the Lord is. Watch for it and delight in it, because we're not the center of the universe. We've all met people, you know, from many different walks of life that there's just something about them. There's something intriguing, something interesting, something attractive. And it's okay for you and I to be gathered. I one there. We might be the ones being drawn in towards the spirit that lives in our neighbor we might pick up on the north-south compass needle that moves when we're around the greatest or the least of these. Let's take a little humility pill and realize that we might be part of the ends of the earth that are being drawn, being gathered, being assembled and collected to where the Spirit of the Lord is. Maybe it's our turn to be drawn into what the psalmist refers to. It's just a thought. And so let me end with this thought from Grace Church in New York. The mystery of God's activity in the world is that the tiny signs of faithfulness and love and mercy and hope, the tiny signs enacted by the Christian community are the pointers or the compasses to glory that will come. This is not the way I would have done it. It's not the way you would have done it. No wonder we take offense. You and I would, you and I would have made it obvious so that it would have stunned everybody, made arguments and questioning questioning irrelevant. But the glory of Lebanon, which one day will break over the universe in a crescendo of song from the angels and the archangels and the company of heaven, that glory is secret for the time being to gather people from the ends of the earth in the small deeds and the little prayers of the church of God. That's the way God planned it for reasons that we will someday understand in the kingdom of God.
1: I just really feel like we should have an altar call. (laughs) (laughs) Pardon me. (laughs) Um, Okay, we're going to... I have so many things I want to respond to but I am giving the time to you such a good word so refreshing can you come teach here in central Alberta we need a fresh take on God's love (laughs) you're going on the road lend us your rose-tinted glasses this word just encourages a more loving way to see people in god's word my son might be having a different experience in his christian school right now if you were his teacher so grateful to have tuned in this morning thank you from alberta tamara mitchell that's awesome oh so i was um i was listening and I wrote something down. It was just shortly after you had read read, um, read from the apocrypha, um, and and it gave me this picture. And it's about you guys. And I feel like this is just a big. If you want to sit down, you can. <laughs> Um, this is a big treasure chest and I keep reaching in and pulling out another gem and you are each a gem and if you think I'm not talking about you you're wrong today every single one of you is a gem and you matter and you make this world more beautiful and you make this community more substantial so just chew on it for a while I wonder re- I want to send you out with a blessing but I'm just gonna remind you of a couple of um, announcements from this week so on Wednesday is food for friends that's where you can make some food you bring it hot um, and we Um, feed people on the street and those with um, Challenges being able to make hot food for themselves. That's um, at the corner of uh, Montrose and Laurel so behind where the old RBC used to be at the other end of town Um, and if you bring your food hot around 545 they serve it by six, um, and you stay there. You help serve, and you put faces and eyes on a problem we have in this city with um, ignoring needs that are here. So, if that's something you'd like to invest in, I would encourage you to um, participate in that. And then we have home groups, and um, we have one group that has still still has room, and that's. Um, Lando and Kathy can you guys just stand up if you want to be part of a group still um, it's on um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Will you just tap them and say hey, I want to join your group and um, That's happening on Tuesday nights at 7 till about 9 So now I just want to bless you, but what I'd like you to do Because we didn't get to do the altar callers. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and put your hands out like you're going to get a gift. Okay? No peeking. May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen.